0: Our second reading today it comes from First Samuel chapter 30. As we come to that, let's pray. Our Lord, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, uh, for the way in which it reveals to us uh, who you are, the way in which it reveals who your Son is. Help us, Lord, as we go through this passage to hear you speak to us. Change us, Lord. Work within us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. First Samuel, uh, chapter 30. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed. Uh, because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord, his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered, you will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David and the six hundred men with him came to the Bezal ravine where some stayed behind. For two hundred men were too exhausted to cross the ravine. But David and four hundred men continued the pursuit. They found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David. They gave him water to drink and food to eat, part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins. He ate and was revived. Uh, for he had not eaten any food or drunk any water for three days and three nights. David asked him, uh, to whom do you belong and where do you come from? He said, I am an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. We raided the Negev of the Kerethites and the territory belonging to Judah and the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag. David asked him, can you lead me down to this raiding party? He answered, swear to me before God that you will not kill me or hand me over to my master and I will take you down to them. He led David down and there they were scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. David fought them from (laughs) dusk until the evening of the next day. And none of them got away, except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. He took all the flocks and herds and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying, This is David's plunder. And David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow him and who were left behind at the Bezal Ravine. They came out to meet David and the people with him. As David and his men approached, he greeted them. But all the evil men and troublemakers among David's followers said, because they did not go out with us, we will not share with them the plunder we recovered. However, each man may take his wife and children and go. David replied, No, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us and handed over to us the forces that came against us who will listen to what you say. The share of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down to the battle. All shall share alike. David made this a statute and ordinance for Israel from that day to this. When David arrived in Ziklag, he sent some of the plunder to the elders of Judah, who were his friends, saying, Here is a present for you from the plunder of the Lord's enemies. He sent it to those who were in Bethel, uh, Ramoth-Negev and Jatir, to those in Aroah, uh, Siphmoth, and Eshtimoah, and Rakal, and those in the towns of the Jeremialites and the Kenites, to those in Hormor, Bor-Ashan, Atharq, and Hebron, and to those in all the other places where David and his men had roamed. Amen. A sinful nature is greedy. It is self-centered. And in this passage, we see some of the men of David refusing to share the plunder with others who couldn't go into battle. They wanted more for themselves. They wanted what they thought they deserved. But what is it that any of us really deserve? Their attitude to the plunder is an attitude that David rejected. It shouldn't be that way because it ignores God's hand in things. It's an attitude that ignores the Lord's providence and grace towards us. But when you start looking at things in the light of what God has done for us, not only in the everyday things, but in his salvation towards us. It changes the way you view much of life. In First Samuel, there's a lot going on in these last chapters. Uh, there is a battle which occurs in this passage, but at the same time, there's another battle taking place. Uh, the Philistines are about to launch their attack against the Israelites led by King Saul. Uh, David isn't there though he was at one point proceeding towards that battle but not with the Israelites but with the Philistines and thankfully the Lord drew him out of that situation it could have turned really bad for David and uh, David is certainly not the, the kind of man to fight against his fellow Israelites and so if he was finally forced to line up for battle no doubt he would have changed sides during the battle. But the Lord had already determined that the Israelites were going to lose that battle. The Lord had already determined that Saul and his sons would die. And if David had stayed there with his men, he would likely have died too. But with the Lord's intervention, David and his men had now begun their journey home. And having escaped one disaster, they get there and find out that things Or even worse. Verse 1 says, David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag and they had attacked Ziklag and burned it. and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old. They killed none of them but carried them off as they went on their way. And when David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. The Amalekites are opportunists. They saw that the fighting forces in the towns of the south of the land of the Philistines in the south of the land of Israel in Judah, that they're all gone. They've all headed north to fight each other. And so they attack those who remained. They plunder the towns and other towns are raided. Ziklag, though, is burnt to the ground. And all the children, all the women are taken captive. The Women and children become slaves and they will be kept by the Amalekites or sold on as slaves for profit. Can you imagine the grief of coming home after a long journey and finding your home burnt to the ground, and your family, who should have been welcoming you, taken away and facing a life of slavery. These men wept, they wept deeply, and they kept weeping until they had no more strength. This world is not a peaceful place. It can be from time to time, but sin and wickedness remain in this world and bad things will happen even to faithful people. David and his men have just been rescued from another mistake David was making, but now they return home and all they can do is weep. There may be times in your life where that will happen. Perhaps there has already been such a time. And there are two ways that this can go. Verse 5 says, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord. Grief can turn to bitterness. And, And bitterness seeks to assign blames. Bitterness seeks revenge. Bitterness looks for payback. When we become bitter, we turn that bitterness against someone. The men are blaming David. We should never have gone away. If we had been here, this would never have happened. It's all David's fault. Let's kill him. Let's take our grief out on him. Bitterness can be turned against others. Sometimes we turn our bitterness against God and we blame him. Sometimes we even turn it against ourselves. Bitterness withdraws our love for others, for God and even for ourselves. But the antidote to bitterness is not vengeance or blame or revenge but hope david found strength in the lord his god the last time we saw this happen was when uh, jonathan came to david in the wilderness of israel and spoke with him and reminded him of the promises of god david at the time had been very fearful of saul and thought that he might die any day but with jonathan's words and his reminders Uh, David found strength in the Lord. And here, uh, this is what David is doing for himself. He is reminding himself of the promises that God has made. And if we are to escape bitterness and find strength in the Lord, that is how we do it. We remind ourselves of the Lord and his promises to us. It's not an instant cure. But looking to the Lord is always the step forward. It doesn't end our grief. But the Lord gives hope in times of distress. And that is what we need. We need assurance from our Lord and God that he has things in hand. That his promises will forever hold. That his love for us endures no matter what and no matter how things seem. David's men grew bitter. But David found strength in the Lord. He drew hope from the Lord's promises to him. And then David does something that he hasn't done for a while now and perhaps should have been doing all along. He seeks the Lord's will. Verse 7 says, David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him and David inquired of the Lord shall I pursue this reigning party will I overtake them pursue them he answered you will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue it's been such a long time since David inquired of the Lord we we haven't seen David do that since chapter 23 and he's been in so much trouble in all this meantime and he's never been asking the Lord But now in his distress, he seeks definitive answers from the Lord. And what he receives from the Lord is a gracious and wondrous answer. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. The work is not done, the battle is not fought, and yet already they would have felt some relief and even some joy. The Lord had promised good for them and their families. And bitterness is replaced by hope. The men leave immediately. They would have gone as fast as they could to overtake the Amalekites. But they had already just completed this really long journey. Come home to a town with no provisions to be found. And they had wept until they had no strength. These men are already tired. And as it turns out, some are so tired that they can't continue. They come to the ravine of Bezor and they just can't get across it. Just too worn out. And so 200 of David's men are left behind. And the rest lighten their load and continue as fast as they could. Verse 11 says, They found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David. They gave him water to drink and food to eat, part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins. He ate and was revived, for he hadn't eaten any food or any drink for three days and three nights. David asked him, to whom do you belong? Where do you come from? He said, I am an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. We raided the Negev of the Kerethites in the territory belonging to Judah and the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag. David asked him, can you lead me down to this raiding party? He answered, swear to me before God that you will not kill me or hand me over to my master and I will take you down to them. Uh, This land is uh, hilly and rocky. Uh, They are not kind of tracking the Amalekites. In fact, they probably don't even know it's the Amalekites that they are after. They've been blindly searching for whoever it may have been and just headed off in the most hopeful direction. And then they come across this Egyptian slave in a field who happens to have been left behind by the very raiding party who had attacked their town. God's promise that they would have victory and succeed in the rescue did not end with the assurance, but his promise came with providence. It was no accident they came upon this Egyptian. The Lord was at work to ensure he was there. And the Lord was at work to bring them to that place. The Lord was at work so that the man knew where the Amalekites were going. And the Lord was at work that the Egyptian was happy enough to take them there. See, the Lord doesn't leave his promises to chance. He doesn't even leave it up to you. The Lord makes them happen. When we think of the providences of God, we often just think of the regular things, the food on the table, the, the job that we have, you know, seeming coincidences that simply put us on the right path or rescue us. There's a special kind of providence, the one that the Lord conducts to fulfill all of his promises. What has God provided that his promises might be fulfilled? Well, here's one. He's given his spirit to everyone who believes. The spirit is given to guarantee the outcome, to ensure that God's promise is fulfilled. How else could we keep a faith that at times is so flimsy and vague? How else could our lives be renewed when our heart is still affected by sin? God gives us his spirit to guarantee the outcome. And there are many more things the Lord provides to guarantee his promises. The Egyptian on the road was the Lord fulfilling his own promise that not one of their loved ones would be lost, that they would catch up to the Amalekites and rescue them all. Verse 16 continues, he led David down and there they were scattered over the countryside, eating and drinking and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day. And none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old boy or girl, plunder or anything else that they had taken. David brought back everything. He took all the flocks and herds and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock saying, this is David's plunder. The Lord has delivered this promise through David. David. It's David who is the active party in all these verses. He's the one that's leading them down into battle, who fights and who rescues. And we can easily imagine David leading the charge into battle, leading the fight, and then personally ensuring that everyone is recovered and safe. And they end up getting a whole bunch more plunder than they would lost. And this extra stuff his men say belongs to him. David's men were thinking of stoning him. But through the Lord, through David, the Lord has brought them the victory and now once more they look up to the man who will be king. Everyone was saved, not a life was lost. Wives, sons, daughters, all found, all rescued. Every single possession was recovered, nothing was missing. It's hard to imagine that their loved ones were never used as hostages. or their lives, were never at risk in this battle which went for a day. No doubt they were. But the Lord kept them safe. Every single one of them. And miraculously so. And then the number of Amalekites must have been huge. The description of the battle sounds like hardly anybody got away. It says none of them got away except... But the number who got away was 400 young men. 400. There must have been thousands and thousands to start with for that expression to make any sense. And David only brought 400 men with him to begin with. Sure, they had an initial advantage because the enemy was busy partying But that advantage would have worn off very quickly over the course of a whole day of fighting. And their numbers were overwhelming. The Lord clearly won them this battle. The Lord promised good for David and his men and the Lord delivered on that promise. Bitterness turned to hope and hope turned to joy. And the victors began the journey home. Then verse 21 says that David came to 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow him who were left behind at the Bezal ravine and they came out to meet David and the people with him and as David and his men approached he greeted them but all the evil and troublemakers among David's followers said because they did not go out with us we will not share with them the plunder we recovered. However each man may take his wife and children and go. These are those men who were just simply too tired to go on. It wasn't that they didn't want to go, they just couldn't. They had no energy left and they stayed back. They didn't fight. But the stronger, more energetic carried on and they fought the fight that lasted more than a day. They were the ones who risked their lives. Shouldn't their share be greater than those who did not go? Doesn't the labourer deserve his wages? Shouldn't those who faced danger be rewarded for doing so? Verse 23 says, David replied, No, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us and handed over to us the forces that came against us. Who will listen to what you say? The share of the man who stayed with the suppliers is to be the same of him that went down to the battle all will share alike David made this a statute and ordinance for Israel from that day to this see what these men missed was that this battle was not won by their own efforts the Lord led them to the Amalekites the Lord upheld them against overwhelming odds the Lord protected everyone that they were trying to rescue the Lord protected every one of David's men they came back buoyant and joyous but not because of their own efforts but because the lord brought them the victory but it, it is not only that the victory was the lord's but also that the men even though they participated deserved no more credit than those who stayed with the baggage no more credit this was this was not a battle won with the lord's help It was a battle that the Lord won, regardless of their help. With the kind of aid that the Lord was supplying, David could have gone on his own and brought back everybody alive. That's what the Lord was doing. It was the Lord's victory. It's the same kind of victory analysis that follows Christ's victory on the cross. What did you do then? We didn't participate in that. Jesus won the battle over our sin. He won the victory over death. How can we accept any credit at all? He won the battle. In fact, we were like the wives and children of David's men headed off for a life of slavery and then here comes jesus and just plucks us out of the enemy's camp and loses not a single one of us and at the same time makes a mocker of his enemies and sends them fleeing by stripping death and the devil of all their power over us there is no room for boasting when it comes to our salvation Jesus did it all. This is what grace is. It is Jesus winning the battle for us with no credit of our own to claim. Was it the presence of David's men that kept every prisoner safe? No. It could only be the Lord. Was it the strength of the men following David that defeated a vastly superior force? No. It could only be the Lord. Was it even the diligent tracking of David's men that led them to the Amalekites? No. It was the gracious providence of the Lord in the Egyptian that took them there. What credit could they take for any of it? None. Now David and his men recovered everything that was taken, but they received much more, much more than they needed, much more than they had lost. And so David, having received freely from the Lord, shares that plunder with others. Verse 26 says, When David arrived in Ziklag, he sent some of the plunder to the elders of Judah, who were his friends, saying, Here is a present for you from the plunder of the Lord's enemies. He sent it to those who were in Bethel, Ramoth, Negev, and Jetir, to those in Aroah, Sifmoth, and Eshth Tomoah, to Rakal and the towns of the Jeremielites and the Kenites, to those in Hormah, Boashan, and... and and to those in all the other places where David and his men had roamed. The extra plunder that David and his men received from the battle is declared to be David's, and yet he freely shares it. This sharing of the plunder with the elders of Judah will be an influence and a help when Judah comes to claim David as their king. But David doesn't give the plunder as a gift from himself, but as a gift from the Lord's plunder, from the Lord's enemies. The gracious supply of the Lord to David and his men flows over to those in David's care, to the rest of the people of God. We aren't naturally generous. From the womb, we are born sinful and self-centered. We know this from a very early age. Children learn the word Mine, even as we mature we protect ourselves, we hold on to our possessions, we want to retain what is ours and in those few moments when we aren't like that, there is often something else to be gained. This kind of thing is ingrained in all humanity, it is the sinful nature. It's the kind of nature that takes more than we give. It's the kind of nature that rarely considers giving to others without first considering the cost to ourselves. And that is loving ourselves before others. And it's the reason we need saving because that's not how God wants us to be. Such thinking is evil and wicked in his sight. And in this way, we are all like David's men who refused to divide the plunder. And then comes Jesus. Jesus who reigned from above. Jesus who possessed all things, all power, all glory. The whole earth is his. He possessed all majesty and honor. And all these things, he set them aside. He didn't cling on to them. Instead, he made himself nothing and was born as a man. He set aside what was his by right and became a servant. He then even gave up his life and bore upon himself everything that we erode for all the wrong that we have done when he deserved none of it. And there in agony on the cross, he served us and he saved us. It was his choice, his desire, and an outpouring of love for those he came to save. It was perfect and pure and wondrous grace that is greater than every other grace. The Son of God gave up everything for us. And now all the treasures of heaven are his. The kingdom of God is his. Righteousness is his. Victory is his. This is his plunder. The things that he has won. And he shares it with all his people. He shares it with those who don't deserve it. He shares it with those who have entrusted their lives to him and have been rescued by him from death. He shares his plunder with all those who count him as king. And So we receive the kingdom. We receive his righteousness. We become victorious in him. Jesus, we have much to be thankful for. And knowing that you have gained so much through him should lead you to extend that same grace and providence and mercy that you have received. You should extend that to others. Offering forgiveness where none is expected. Offering help when none is deserved. Passing on to others the things that the Lord has bestowed upon you in his providence and grace. And then maybe, just maybe, through the strangestness and, and the unexpectedness of your actions, imperfect delivered as they may be, maybe through this they will come to know something of the grace of the perfect, wonderful, amazing grace of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, what can we say to all of this that your Son gave up everything for us. Oh Lord, we do confess before you that we are not worthy of such gifts and yet we know we have forgiveness in him. We know that eternal life awaits. We know that you have showered upon us your grace and your mercy. Lord, forgive us for all of our sins, for all of our, the wrongness of our hearts and our minds. And help us, Lord, just to share, just to some of this grace that you have shared with us, with others. Help us to shine some of that light of Christ in their lives, that they too might have hope, and that hope might turn to joy in coming to know Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. During our next song, we'll take up an offering for the work of the Lord.